Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Sam Kahn, TheAthletic.com, joins us on 365 Sports. Uh, Sam, there was a moment maybe sometime a little bit during that third quarter when it was up for grabs, but in the end, Michigan just put their stamp on it. Your thoughts about overall last night? Yeah, interesting game, compelling. I thought uh, the the swings that we saw momentum with Michigan dominating early on. <clears throat> you kind of wondered early after that first quarter if he was just going to run away with the thing. And then you know they squandered a couple of opportunities and in short yardage, and Washington was able to to get back in it. You know when Caden DeBoer went for fourth and goal. Uh, late in the first half, and they went and scored that touchdown and a really nice play, throw from Penix to Jalen McMillan. I really did think Washington was going to flip the tide there because they, they were getting the ball coming out to start the third quarter. And I thought, man, they're going to go here and score, and we're going to have a neck-and-neck ball game the rest of the way. Uh, and, of course, we know Penix threw that interception uh, to start the third quarter, and uh, they never really could. Even, even as many times as Washington had the ball down one score – they just could not get it going. And, and the impression I kept coming away with after watching that game was that Michigan beat them at the line of scrimmage. They, they beat them, obviously, with their offensive line, opening up those huge holes early for Blake Horm and Donovan Edwards to run through. And then even on the defensive line, I thought they did a really good job. They sacked Penix once, but they also were able to get a little bit in his face and move him. There was a, several times where you saw Penix retreating when he was throwing the ball and it just seemed like he, he made his own mistakes as well but it seemed like they were able to affect him in a way that, that some teams recently haven't been able to and I think that ultimately Michigan is sitting here at 15-0 and 0, I think is a deserving champ and, and kudos to them they were the better team last night. Sam, what does it also say about, you know, there's this common perception about how teams need to be in, in, in college football today and this kind of offense, and you need to be able to do this, this, and that. And Michigan did it very old school last night and, and all season long for sure. Yeah, I think sometimes we overthink this, and, and I'll include myself in this because I'm a guy who has grown up in Texas watching – the revolution of offensive football, you know, seven on seven sprouted here, you know, the air raid really took off here. Uh, even though it was born really at Iowa Westlake and it really took off in Texas Tech when Mike Leach did, did it there and, and the high schools here too. Uh, the big 12 has kind of been kind of central for, for schematic revolution, but the game still comes down to blocking and tackling and guess who blocked and tackled the best last night and blocked and tackled the best a lot this year was Michigan. And we, we think of these teams, too, not just from a schematic standpoint. Like, J.J. McCarthy is not a guy who you considered at, at any point this year as a Heisman candidate. So you do, he, he, the, the fact that they won a title with him, and I think he's a very talented quarterback, and I think he'll have a pro future. 
but he wasn't he wasn't of the level of Michael Penn. And he, he wasn't he's not the level of Drake May or Caleb Williams. But they were able to win because you have to give Jim Harbaugh and that staff a lot of credit because they were able to construct that team around their strengths and around their weaknesses. They never put JJ McCarthy in a position to have to carry the team. And that's a credit to the talent they built around him. And when you think about it, we think of Georgia and we think of Alabama and we think of Ohio State and these teams that have stacked super talent, five stars and high four stars all over the place. Michigan's roster doesn't look like that. And if you really think about it, they've got great players. A lot of players are going to get drafted. But do they have one just uber stud that, you know, no doubt best player in the nation? They don't. They have a lot of really good football players, a lot of great football players. And it truly was a team effort. And I really have to give a lot of kudos, again, to Hardball, that organization, the way they built the roster, the way they constructed the team, the schemes they called. I thought the coordinators did a good job last night. It, there is truly one, more than one way to skin a cat. You don't have to just recruit a bunch of five stars. You don't have to have eyes on quarterback. You can win it another way. And ultimately, like I said, I think it comes down in a lot of ways to blocking the back line. And Michigan did that really damn well. Sam, I saw you make a comment, a tweet passed by before the, the game yesterday or during the game. You were talking about how you had always hoped to cover the national championship in Houston. And, and years ago, you just hoped that you'd be around for that moment. And you were. And so what was it like to see the national championship unfold down there in H-Town? It was so cool. It was one of the best experiences of my career. Uh, I remember, I think it was six years ago, a little bit more than six years ago, when they announced that Houston would host the national championship game in 2024. And, you know, I was super excited about it, obviously, because this is where I'm born and raised. This is where I've spent my career. And I didn't, you know, it was so long ago when that announcement came down. I I didn't know if I was even going to be covering college football. And you just don't know how – quickly these things change, you know, I mean, I, I lost the job in, you know, early 2021. And so, you know, when I was like, go by ESPN and you, you just, you just don't know this business is so fickle. And so you don't know what direction life's going to take you. And so you just, I just hoped, Hey man, even if it was the last college football game I ever covered, that would be an awesome opportunity to have. And to do it, Last night, and, and really this whole weekend with uh, so many friends and colleagues, you know, our team at The Athletic, we had uh, 10 people total, including myself, uh, in, in Houston for the game, to cover the game, you know, uh, eight writers and two editors. And I was, I'm just so, I feel so privileged to be a part of that group because we, I feel like we have, you know, the best college football coverage team in the country. You know, I feel like we do a great job covering it, covering it in a written way and, uh, you know, to, to be surrounded by those people who are great friends and, and a lot of people who I've worked with, you know, formerly at ESPN, people I've worked with, you know, in my old days at Houston Chronicle, people that I've known. I, I ran into people last night that I've known since I covered high school, you know, way back, in, you know, 15, 16 years ago. Uh, those relationships have endured over time. And, and I feel like I'm a part of this place. You know, I'm a part of, of H-Town and, and it's, it's a part of me. And to be able to have the most, you know, the, the pinnacle of the sport be played in this city uh, last night was a really cool moment for me and something I'll always cherish. So, Sam, we now have the Big 12 changing to who they are, uh, of course, next year. Texas OU on their way. The changes in college football. The Big 10 has Washington, Oregon, USC, and also UCLA. 
Um, do you have any idea? Do you think we're going to have another year like we've seen the last couple of years? Is it going to calm down at all, knowing Florida State is most likely imminent with what they want to do? I sure hope that we do because, gosh, it has made some really long off seasons and some long summers the last few years. I would like to have one summer go by without a major realignment move happening. Uh, that would be terrific. Obviously, Florida State with their cage rattling uh, is understandable, but yeah, they spent so much time looking at this Grand Rice and trying to figure the way out. I feel like it's, it's going to be a little bit difficult, and, and I would imagine that off ramp is probably a few years down the road. Uh, I think we've seen the date thrown around like 2027 uh, or something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so much can change in that. And and what happened to them in the playoffs, which was really unfortunate, uh, I was disappointed to see them left out. That I understand why. I understand why they're going to do it or why they're trying to do it. And and but it only. I don't see long-term stability coming in at any point soon. And that's not just with realignment. I think that's with everything. That's with uh, NIL. That's with player movement. That's with potential revenue sharing whenever that comes down the pike, which I, you heard Jim Harbaugh this morning at his press conference after winning that championship, standing on the table for that again. Uh, he's not going to be the only one. And, and I think that you talk to ADs and it seems like an inevitability. The sport is going to continue to change, and I, I am curious. Of course, the 12-team playoff comes in, but I'm curious how different it seems to look. But this offseason, I think, is still going to be plenty busy. I just don't know if realignment is going to be a part of it, and I sure hope we can at least take a short breather from that uh, for one offseason. Yeah, Sam, I don't know if we're going to be that lucky. Uh, <laughs> says the Florida State guy over yeah. here. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to be that lucky. It's going to this one's going to be and, and like here's the thing you asked for that and this one might be the weirdest one of all. Given yeah. everything that has yeah, happened, and, and the thing is, is gosh, the conferences are already so mangled at this point. I just don't know what it all looks like at the end. That's that's kind of where I am now. Is I want to see what what just show me what the end game is. Show me what we're going to get to at the end. And so I can understand what this is going to look like. But I will say this. I am excited about the 12-team playoff next year. Uh, I thought it was good that we had new blood in this year. And I do think that is a positive change for the sport. Uh, how Will it affect realignment or will it impact that? I don't think so because those decisions are made well beyond just the playoff. But I do think it is going to be cool to see that. And I even heard, you know, my, my friend Ari Washburn, David Oven this morning talking about it and, talking about, hey, who could be the 12 teams in it next year. I think that, that's going to be a lot of fun to think about as we do our preseason previews. We're no longer going to be picking a top four. We're going to be picking a top 12 and figuring out who's going to be the group of five team that gets in, uh, who are some of the dark horses that could come and win a conference and, and earn one of those automatic first. I think that is going to be really cool. And for all the, the uh, angst that there has been about realignment, when you do look at the schedules, there is this, is there are going to be a lot of really good games. Uh, and, and that is that is good for the sport. It is good to see more quality games and not schedules where teams only get tested twice the whole year. Congratulations on that dream you had six and a half years ago and, and what you were able to do. I saw that picture that Craig brought up as well. That's awesome. You do a great job. The staff does. I've mentioned it's the one that I have a subscription to, and it's not because you're on the air, but I do. Uh, it, it's a hell of a season. Michigan, how about this stat? Uh, Garrett, I'm not sure if you've had time. This is a stat about Michigan. They're the first national champion, Sam, to lead at halftime in every game since Miami's 
dominant and maybe greatest team ever in 2001. Yeah, it was impressive. When when they played Alabama in the semis and they were trailing, I remember them flashing that graphic up that that was the first time all season they had trailed in the second half. And in some ways, it almost didn't surprise me because we saw how they dominated. And some of that, again, was a function of schedule. There's, let's not lie, their schedule was pretty poor in the first half of the season. But down the stretch, they had a lot of tests, and I thought they stood up to them. And every time you thought – hey, somebody might get him. And, you know, even as I just talked about J.J. McCarthy, even though his passing numbers were not great, I mean, he threw for 60 yards against Penn State. But how many times did we watch Michigan, even down the stretch, and you really thought they were in danger of losing? I don't think it was very often at all. And I think that's a testament to this defense, how well it played. Jesse Mitchell has done a great job with that group. They've got a lot of really good players, a lot of really good athletes. And gosh, you, you look at what they did to that uh, Washington offense last night. I mean, they that that that's the fewest yards per play that Washington has averaged all season long was last night, and it's a credit to that secondary to be able to keep that uh, that passing game in check. And again, Penix made his mistakes as well, but it is it is a show of dominance from a Michigan team, fifteen and zero, a very deserving champion without question. Uh, the right tackle for Washington had a tough night, hell of a player, Roger. Rosengarten throughout the year had 610 pass block snaps, zero sacks allowed and two quarterback hits. And that was nearly tripled last night in the Mm. game against Michigan. And he's a heck of a player, the right tackle. He allowed numerous hits, of course, on Penix. Everybody did, but that's how dominant Michigan was in their front seven, getting after Penix. Sam, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your week. Rest that voice and and, uh, we appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks, guys. I'll take care. Sam Kahn, com, with us on 365 Sports. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.